Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Grow Wire podcast. I'm your host, Fritz Nelson. I hope all of you have remained safe and healthy during this time. I first want to note that this podcast episode was recorded prior to COVID-19 closures and shelter in place, so our levity should be taken in that context. Everyone at GrowWire extends our support for those impacted by coronavirus, and we continue to encourage you to visit GrowWire.com for advice, tools, and stories around managing business, building resilience, working from home, and any other resources you may need to get through this challenging time. On this episode, we're joined by Robbie Page. He is the founder of Tenzo Tea, and they make a very lovely blend of, or actual pure yeah. version of matcha right. tea. Yeah. Um, you may have seen or heard of them. They have become quite popular in a very short period of time. Mm-hmm. And what we're going to talk about on this episode is how Robbie and his um, his co-founder, Steve, came up with this idea based on their experience as volleyball players at UCLA um, and, and all of the work that went into, I mean, really hard work, a lot of research, bootstrapping the company, um, really doing the, the, the gut-wrenching work of starting a company, figuring out how to bring products into the U.S., figuring out how they were going to sell it, all the different distribution channels that they were going to have to look at. And um, it caught on. It, it became very successful in coffee shops in Long Beach, California, and then in L.A., and now all over the country. And they have an e-commerce site where you can get a subscription as well. Mm-hmm. So they talk about those different business models. They talk about their struggles. They talk about um, getting funding and uh, how this has really taken off. So stay tuned. You're listening to the Grow Wire podcast, a place where you will learn the ins and outs of growing a business, running a business, or even taking your big idea, career, or personal development to the next level. It's all possible. Our host, Fritz Nelson, the editor-in-chief of growwire.com, will take you on an exploration of growth through candid conversations with some of the most brilliant minds in entrepreneurship, entertainment, business development, and more. Whatever your goal, we know you'll walk away with the right tools to help fuel your journey of growth. For those who haven't experienced, can you just tell us what Tenzo Tea is? Amazing, yeah. So Tenzo is a matcha green tea company. We're based out of Santa Monica, California. We specialize in organic and ceremonial matcha from Japan. And we sell it through direct-to-consumer channels online as subscription. And we work with wholesale partners like coffee shops, juice bars, um, as well as ingredient supply for ready-to-drink products. Okay. Well, we're going to come back to some of those yeah. details in a moment. But I want to um, kind of start with the story of how you came up with the idea for Tenzo Tea. Sure. Right from the beginning? Sure. All right, all right. When you were born. No. No, yeah. <laughs> and so- by the way, for our listeners... You know, you can't maybe see, if, well, not maybe, you can't see, but he's really, really tall. <laughs> yeah, I'm seven so anyway. feet tall. Um, <laughs> so I was always a volleyball player. I was always an athlete and really was concerned about what I put into my body. Same with my co-founder's name, Steve. I actually met him in the volleyball courts back when he was 12 and I was 14 in Rochester, New York. Um, we both went to play at UCLA together. 
And during that time, we always really were interested in being our best and getting our, our minds right to play and compete at our highest level. And our coaches would push caffeine on us, like coffee. And there's something about caffeine and the way it makes your mind ready. You know, it makes you more alert and more, uh, you're ready to go. So when um, after school, we were looking to get into business, we knew what we wanted to do. So we just started reading and learning and grinding. And we started going to this coffee shop every single day. And we started drinking like three cold brews a day. And if you drink three cold brews a day, your stomach just turns into a big pit of acid and you have headache and jitters and you're crashing, you're going back for more. And it literally started with a quick Google search. It was like, what is the healthiest form of energy out there? And that's when we discovered matcha. And we had never heard of it before to that point. And we tried it, started drinking it. And we realized a lot of people out there felt the same way we did, where they wanted energy, but they didn't want to feel bad about the chemicals they're putting in their body. They want something that's really organic and true and pure. Um, to get caffeine every day. And when you guys were doing the research behind this, you had both graduated at that point? I graduated. My co-founder dropped out. Um, because of this idea? He actually, he dropped out on pure belief in himself and knew that he was going to create something. He'd already done a business or two in the past, and he wanted to just get out and put his back against the wall and dive into something new. So he moved on to my couch in Long Beach. Um, I was playing professional volleyball still, and we just started, We I studied neuroscience, he studied history, and we just had no idea how to build a business, so we just started learning and reading books and meeting people and just trying things, you know, just pure hustle. And, I mean, th what made you guys believe you could do this? That's something, yeah, that's a really interesting question, and I've always just had a... I mean, I was raised with a really strong belief just that I could do anything. You know, my parents were always really adamant that, like, whatever you put your mind to, you can accomplish and do. And I've always liked the control aspect of being able to control my own destiny and know that, like, it's on me to make it happen, if you will. So between Steve and I, I've known him for a long time. We, had, we were building websites. We were doing a lot of random this and that, you know, trying to make ends meet. And then when we found matcha, everything kind of clicked. It was like, wow, this is a perfect product for our values, for our story, um, and kind of what the kind of value we want to bring to the world. So you you guys are from Rochester, New York. Like what, I mean, other than the obvious, it's beautiful here in Southern California. <laughs> like why, why did you not go back? That's a really good question. Um, one of the best analogies that I have is, Think about the opportunity bus, if you call it. So the opportunity bus in Rochester, New York, comes once every 10 years. You know, there's a lot of amazing people there, but it's very simple life. You know, everyone fits in their role. They have a job. Um, they do it really well. They're very happy, and life goes on. Um, when I first came to UCLA, I saw this whole nother world open up to me. Um, LA is a crazy place where you can literally do anything your heart desires and make money doing it. Like, that's, anything's possible here. And in that sense, there's a ton of early adopters here. Everyone's trying to find the newest, coolest thing, and everyone's also very supportive of new ideas versus starting in Rochester, people would shake their head and go, like, what are you thinking? You're crazy. People thought we were crazy. All of our friends and family were like, why, what? Like, are you kidding me? You're, we have Xerox here, just do it like you're that. You're making a tea company. So we got like, why, you don't drink tea? You're making a tea company? But everyone in LA is like, oh my gosh, what is this? Can I try it? How is it? Like, how do you make it? You know, and I think that's why LA is one of like the cultural epicenters of the world, just because everyone here is really 
early adopters and they like to promote new things and the rest of the world follows. Just as an aside, what was, uh, what's the professional volleyball circuit like? Um, it's goes up and down. It's kind of like a roller coaster. So, um, indoor is much, I played a year in Italy, I'm playing indoor and that's much more stable. They have full leagues, full teams, better funding, better salaries for players. Um, my always passion was beach volleyball, which is the AVP in the U.S., and that's kind of gone through three rounds of bankruptcy over the last 20 years. And really, when I was playing, it, I wasn't making enough money to support a living. It was more like a glorified hobby, if you will, just because there wasn't enough money in the sport to support a career. So that was kind of when it sparked the idea to me. I needed to create something alongside of volleyball to support my hobby. It's kind of why I dove into business personally. But um, it's great. I mean, I love the sport. It's got a lot of really great community, but I really hope the business aspect gets tweaked a little bit and gets figured out to support the players. Yeah, for sure. Um, I enjoy I enjoy watching the sand volleyball. That's always fun. Actually, yeah. I enjoy both. Um, and you mentioned your co-founder actually had some experience in starting. Yeah. Um, so he... He's kind of just like a purebred hustler. He loves just getting his stuff into getting himself into projects. But over uh, his junior summer, he created a company called Odd Job Bros, and he just um, got the mailman to deliver like twenty thousand letters across the city, and then started doing any job that they would get a call for. And he made, I think, like thirty thousand dollars in a couple of months. So that was his first real taste of like, wow, like I can make something myself, you know. And then. Back at school, he worked with one of our friends, Alejandro Rioja, to make a company called Flux, and they were selling electric chargers. Um, and that really kind of sparked for me. Like, I was wa- kind of working alongside him, too, helping him out where I could. And I was like, wow, this is exciting, you know, like being able to create something that doesn't exist and create a community and an audience. Yeah. Well, you talked about your upbringing as well, but, um, you know, being a college volleyball player, especially at a school like UCLA. I mean, that's like one of the top five ball schools, right? Yeah. In the country. Um, Was there anything about that experience that also you think helped um, in this startup? Yeah, I think there's so many uh, parallels. And um, I think sports taught me a lot about entrepreneurship, especially the ability to take something you're terrible at and watch yourself gradually improve. And I think that's what you do in the volleyball court every day. You show up and you work on very small skills. And over time, you compound and get better and you learn and you grow. And even strength training, everything you're doing, it's you're looking very long-term but acting short-term. And I think if um, the ability to understand, for one, that you can improve, and for two, to know what that process looks like, allows you to take something like a brand new company and actually start because otherwise it's very daunting looking like how am I gonna make this work it's like no I gotta just make today work you know like I gotta do it get a little bit better today and then tomorrow do the same thing and after a couple years uh, you have a real real business um let's get back to the matcha for a little bit here um that's uh I mean there's a lot of matcha stuff out there right so in this is only like three years ago but Take us through some of the steps in creating or finding what you wanted to do with matcha. Right. So this is a great question. And when we first started to, when kind of our biggest need was we wanted a daily caffeine source that was healthy, affordable, and tasted great. 
Um, and when we got into matcha, for one, we were pretty early and no one really was drinking matcha three years ago. And we were able to introduce it to a lot of LA because we were so early, but all the products were either extremely high quality, super top line ceremonial, like 10 bucks a cup. Wait, what does that mean, ceremonial? Ceremonial is a Japanese term. So for the last 800 years in Japan, matcha has been a part of a me meditative ceremony, um, a tea drinking ceremony. It's like for mindfulness. Um, and ceremonial matcha is termed by tea masters as of good enough quality to drink in a matcha ceremony. Mm. And in the US, that's been kind of used as a, bud a buzzword for like good matcha now. But really matcha comes in a wide variety of grades all the way from ceremonial through like premium and then the culinary, depending on when you harvest it, what part of the plant you take it from. The best matcha is like baby green tea leaves. So very sweet and tender and like subtle in flavor. Where, so, so is there a, there's a particular plant. Oh yeah, sorry, this yeah. is important. So yeah, matcha is green tea, just like the green, just the tea in this. It's the he's, same exact. He's tea. pointing to a, to a bottle of uh, black tea. Black tea, yes. So depending on after harvest, how you process tea, um, green tea is just steamed um, and dried, so it maintains its color and flavor. Black tea is fermented, but it's all the same plant. The Camellia sinensis plant makes all tea, right. from oolong to black tea to green tea, um, the full spectrum. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So matcha, though, instead of steeping it and pulling water through it you're grinding it to a fine powder and matcha dissolve it directly into your drink. So you get more antioxidants and nutrients and also more caffeine and L-theanine, which make you feel great. Could you do that with other teas? Yeah, you could, but it wouldn't probably, if you try, I actually have never tried this. I've never tried to like, grind up black tea before, but technically it's possible. It hasn't been really adopted. Don't know why. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just wondering why, <laughs> yeah, why, why somebody decided this matcha thing, let's, uh, let's grind that one up. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, we I mean, this might be the next level of our company here. Maybe we there should take, take black <laughs> tea to a new, to a new dimension. <laughs> Ground oolong. Um, okay. So but back to the recipe. So you guys wanted to create a ceremonial level matcha. Those existed though, but maybe not here in the U.S. are not known. Yeah, all the, so when we got, when we first started, all the matcha was either really cheap, like a culinary blend that tastes bitter and grainy and almost like, kind of like, just like dirt in your mouth. You know, and no one wants to eat, you drink that. And then the I other- I hear you develop a taste for it, but- Yeah, but not I mean, but, but no, the, the culinary matcha, it's supposed to hold its flavor in food. So it's not really supposed I to see. be drinking, you know? Yeah. And then other matchas like Starbucks come loaded with sugar with like, 10 to 15 grams of sugar in a drink and they're covering up their flavor and they're mixing it, matching it, and make it taste good. But we wanted the health benefits of a pure green tea that was affordable and tasted great. So this was like a two year project, but um, working with private labelers, cutting them out, finding their supplier, going to Japan, we kept leveling up suppliers and finally came to, um, we met this tea master through coincidence and a really uh, amazing story, but he was, he was, previously working with Sencha, which is um, rolled in green tea, like steep green tea. Mm -hmm. And he saw a huge opportunity to get into the U.S. matcha market. And we we're looking for a proprietary creator and blend of organic and ceremonial matcha. Um, and it really just our paths aligned. You know, he's one of our biggest investors and a huge supporter of our mission. But he created Tenzo for us about a year and a half ago as our official new recipe was developed. 
Gotcha. So when when we're talking about ceremonial grade, um, and I've never really dived too deeply into teas before, just coffees. Yeah. But there are obviously. So so does the ceremonial grade come from a a tea plant that's grown in some kind of special conditions? Like how does it become ceremonial grade? Yeah, good question. So one of the oldest and best traditions of Japanese tea growing in particular is they shade grow. They put shade over the green tea plants for the last couple of weeks before harvest. So what that does is it stimulates a plant and kind of puts it into hyperdrive because it's like, where's the light, you know, like 85, 90% shade. And that will pull all the nutrients up from the root and it makes the green tea leaves really dark and rich in green color and antioxidants and flavor. So that's like a huge differentiator between regular tea and matcha is they shade grow it before harvest. And then for the best ceremonial matchas, they'll pick just the tiny, hand-picked the baby green tea leaves that are freshly growing in springtime. Those are the ones that create the, the best product. Gotcha. And what about the other leaves on there? They're just used to make regular green Yeah, they tea. can be used for other teas. Um, I mean, a lot. It's, the green tea plant doesn't die every year, so it survives. So they make sure there's enough leaves around so the bush will survive. It takes like five years to mature a green tea plant. And then it can create leaves for like 10 years. So, um, But culinary, like the, the more harsher, bitter flavors come from the bottom of the plant. Uh, the bigger leaves that have more strong, intense flavor. Um, I wonder how that was discovered. Just like um, everything else. Man, like, yeah. Like hundreds of years. Yeah. Hundreds and hundreds of years of uh, tradition and practice. And um, you mentioned that these are like any green tea it's steamed and then dried yep steamed and dried it kind of like like stabilizes it so it won't degrade gotcha um, keeps the color and it doesn't go through any fermentation no fermentation just fresh yeah it's just really fresh green tea leaves is when you get uh, when you buy okay. tenzo why did why'd you name a tenzo tea um a tenzo is one of the six paths to enlightenment in a buddhist monastery so it's the um the chef who creates meals for meditating monks so they can practice without hindrance. So we kind of view a tenzo as like the giver of energy. Um, so it has Japanese roots and it also kind of just fit. I don't know, just kind of like found the word and we're like, yeah, this will work. <laughs> this will do. <laughs> so as you, so you guys had, you guys had done the research and you found that this was going to be a great source of energy, that nobody had really tapped into this. Right. But gosh, we're going to have to go explore all of this. How were you, so you, and you were kind of living by playing professional volleyball. Yeah. Your roommate was doing what? Yeah, Steve was literally, he is a crazy guy. He was eating ramen noodles and potatoes for like 12 months. Had no income, no living. <laughs> um, just put everything he could into learning and growing and getting better. And wish he could be here. He, he'd have some comments. But <laughs> he, uh, we were just in full grind mode. I would wake up. We'd wake up at like, we were first ones at this coffee shop every day for about seven months. We'd get there at 5.30. We'd work till about noon. I'd play volleyball for three hours, come back to my apartment. Steve's still working. We'd work till about 11 p.m., go to sleep for six hours and do it again. Yeah. And we were just riding this wild caffeine wave. <laughs> um, then we found matcha, so it all settled down. But. <laughs> this is a little better for you. Yeah. Um, so the once you discovered, right. you had to go to Japan, like 
how did you fund that part of the discovery process? It was kind of, it's been like kind of a, um, like a piecemeal it all together. You know, I had a little bit of college savings. I was able to invest some for our initial product. Um, we started super small. It wasn't a huge, like, initial investment. We worked with a private labeler who had a pretty good product to start. Um, he was able to send us finished product, and we sold it online. That was how we started. It was it was a really small, it was supposed to be a passive income project that was just going to help us, you know, like survive and stay alive. And then as we started seeing all these opportunities, like working into cafes, and that's when it really started to grow into a full-fledged business. And you mentioned that the person who created your recipe helped fund this as well? Um, much later, yeah. Oh, about, okay. about so, two, was... so that was like early last year. But um, the, first, the first year, we were basically bootstrapped. We didn't sell a lot. Um, we were just like scraping by, learning how to build websites still, learning how to sell products, learning how to build a business. It's just so much that you don't know. And so you have two, essentially two channels to sell. Now you have a direct to consumer e-commerce mm -hmm. site that where you sell it mm -hmm. and you have a wholesale business. Did you always have that in mind? in the beginning or which, which one came first? So the e-commerce came first. Um, I think it was just a really low barred entry and we knew it was a great product to ship. It's like lightweight, non-perishable, high value. Um, and then we were going to this coffee shop every day, building our website and we're like, wait a second, can we, why don't they sell matcha? Like, why don't we sell them Tenzo? And everyone thought we were totally crazy. Like when we started pitching to coffee shops in Long Beach, um, we'd walk up to owners or managers and say like, oh, we want to sell you our product. And they go like, why are two tall white boys selling me a Japanese green tea powder? You know, like it just made no sense and they're totally confused. But we gradually just like started small. We got one, one shop to carry Tenzo and we just told every other shop in Long Beach that Tenzo was being sold there. And then we got two and then we got three and then it took the smallest ones and then it took a while. We just leveraged and leveraged and leveraged and then we finally closed uh, one of the biggest shops in Long Beach called Portfolio. And it was crazy because this is a shop we've been to every single day. And the day they started serving Tenzo, the entire coffee shop turned green. And they, they must have done like 300 cups of Tenzo that day. And it was awesome just sitting in the shop just hearing like Tenzo matcha, Tenzo tea. Ten they were saying Tenzo too. And we were just like, <laughs> yes, you know. And uh, the crazy part was is the color is really striking to people. And as soon as someone sees they're not drinking a brown drink, they're like, well, what is that? Like, how, what is this called? Like, I want to try it. And it was a crazy compounding effect. And this coffee shop ended up 5Xing their almond milk order because they just sold out of almond milk so fast. And that was when we really knew. We're like, wow, this is real, you know? So that was when we had like 15 locations. And now since then, we have over 400 in L.A. that all serve Tenzo. I, I know the I know portfolio. Do you? Yeah. Oh yeah. my been, gosh. Been there a lot of times. What What was the first shop in Long Beach that you? Um, first one was called Deja Brew. Very very first. Then you know like Ventiliagua, mm -hmm. Berlin Portfolio was where we went. We we lived about a stone throw on Fourth and Cherry from Portfolio. That's where we started gotcha. Tenzo. Yeah, and so that was it, our home base. For our for our listeners, there are so many coffee shops in Long Beach, and Ventiliagua is a gigantic coffee house that yeah. brings in they, they actually have Thursday night um, music that plays and the owner is is very welcoming but they've got like uh, 
Dia de las Muertas stuff all over the yep. wall. Oh, Very that's cool. so yeah. cool. You've been in there. That, oh, I yeah, mean, yeah. that whole community was so supportive and accepting. And yeah, I, I mean, imagine. literally, that it was an amazing place to start. It was like a really coincidence, but it was a great place to kind of get our feet our feet on the ground. That's awesome. So, like, what when when you like even just the first one, you know, how do you? I mean, they have certain guidelines, certain you know levels of you know they want to make sure that your source is good that your product is okay it's mm -hmm. not it's not just taste but you have to prove to them oh, yeah. that it's safe and and all that what was that process like that's been a learning process um from the very beginning and steve he's not here but he handles our quality program and most of our ops but it's we've really leaned on the shoulders of great mentors and really good advisors that have helped us. And it's extremely difficult because there's so much liability in food and the FDA and especially importing international products into the U.S. has been also a – we have to go through customs every shipment of matcha and they're checking us. We need the paperwork and we're clearing. It's just like a huge ordeal. Um, it's doable, but – Early on, we leaned on a lot of our suppliers for their certifications and stuff, and we've been slowly taking those under our own hood. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, uh, it's deep. It's super, super deep. The last few months have taught us what's important. It's also taught us what we need to change. It's the same for business. Why have a hairball of multiple software systems when all you need is NetSuite by Oracle, the world's number one cloud business system? NetSuite gives you visibility and control over your financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce, and more, all in one place. Receive your free guide, seven actions businesses need to take now, and schedule your free product tour at netsuite.com open. netsuite.com open. Did you even know this going, like, when you met with the person who created the recipe and right. you guys had a deal, you're like, okay, good, we're there. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, man, we got to go through all this custom stuff and everything. I mean, did, yeah. you, did you kind of know? Or At that point, we knew a lot of it. Yeah. Um, we had a great advisor. His name's Lambert, who set us up with the whole quality program. The biggest thing is, like, the lot tracing, to be able to track every unit of you sell all the way back to the supplier and to figure out what batch it came from, to make sure that... We've never had any problems, knock on wood, and we've had a very, very great supply chain. But the goal is to know if anything does happen to your product, what else has been affected. Um, so that process of just really organization and keeping track of all the products as they get dispersed and distributed is a, is a fun project that luckily Steve handles. <laughs> <laughs> you always got to have a Steve yeah. to take care of it. Yep. Um, now... How much work did you guys have to do in these coffee shops to teach them how to make it? Pro well, how, how right. much you guys had to learn yourself? Right. Um, we were hands on from the in Long Beach. We were we had a team of I think three back then. Four. Um, me, Steve, Brody joined us in early 2017, and then my friend Dan was living with us as well. But we were sampling every single day at different locations. We were making it for customers, just generating trial, just getting people to try the product. Like, oh, you drink coffee? Try this. Oh, you drink, you know, like, what are you drinking today? Oh, how about this, you know? Um, just the awareness for customers was really important. And then two, for baristas, baristas are really smart. And once they, they just never made a matcha before. And it's very simple, but there's a lot of ways you can mess it up. 
Um, it's literally just mixing powdered green tea into water. And then if you do a little bit of water, it makes an espresso shot. We call it a Tenzo shot. And the Tenzo shot is used to make lattes. But um, we created, we just, a lot of it was in person. We would go behind the bar and we're not baristas, but we had to learn, you know, we just kind of faked it till we, till we knew what we were doing. We'd go back there and put on like classes for baristas. It's just like, here's how you do it. Here's how to make it good. Here's how you mess it up. Um, and then slowly we started building more like training guides and videos and better, better ways to get people up to speed without us actually being there. But in Long Beach, we were, we were there. The, the thing now I'm a big ritual person. Like I will hand, I will hand pour my coffees, oh, you know, and, and, and all of that. So when I saw your video, there's like a little kind of whisk yeah. that you use if, if you're making the, the latte version, I guess, of it, the espresso version. Sure. But like I saw that and I, I was like, oh, I want that. Cause like just the ritual of, yeah. of making that that way, like, um, so that's the method you taught the baristas how to make? Yeah. So that's like a bamboo whisk. It's like it's a very a traditional matcha making tool. It's like a really pliable, flexible. It's like a perfect, it's just like beautiful whisk. But then a lot of like portfolio, they use a shaker bottle now because it's faster. And more, oh, okay. Or uh, it just works better for a lot of customers. Gotcha. But yeah, have to, we'll have to get you, get you some. Get yeah, you a no whisk doubt. and some Tenzo. No doubt. <laughs> I'd <laughs> like to, to do try that. all these. Be happy to do that. Um, so, so you started getting into all these coffee shops and it kind of took off from there. Like you, you said, you know, maybe 15 and now you're at 400, Yeah. you know, the, what was that in between time? Like, I mean, what, did you face some challenges? Yeah. How'd you get it from Long Beach up to LA? Yeah, that's, a, I mean, it's funny looking back at how fast everything has moved and, um, we were in Long Beach up until early middle of 2018, I would say. And at that point, we had about 20, 25 locations. We had just closed our first location in LA, which was Dogtown up here. Um, and Steve and I had both been to UCLA and kind of knew what it felt like to live in this area on the west side of LA. And it's got a lot of back to the opportunity bus. Like this is kind of where you want to be in terms of learning and growing and developing. So one day we just picked up and said, all right, we're moving. We're going north, you know, and we moved to Mar Vista. And then from there, I mean, I need to give a lot of credit to uh, Brody, Brody Cord. He goes by Macho Man Brody. <laughs> um, everyone literally in L.A. knows him as Macho Man Brody because he single-handedly probably closed like 250 locations. Wow. Um, just going door to door. He's the greatest, nicest guy I'll ever meet. Um, he's just amazing, amazing human. And it was wild, though, even just supporting him because he's an amazing salesman. But like the operations and the cash flow and the company and it's just really funny as you grow, like every stage, you, everything breaks. Like the accounts receivable system just doesn't work anymore and you got to figure out like why do I have all this, these invoices and I have no money in my bank, you know? <laughs> so then we've gone through a lot of these roller coasters of like, oh man, oh man, we're going to die. And then we figure it out, you know? And that's... uh. I guess that's part of growth. Yeah. We're growing. It should be <laughs> yeah. getting easier. Yes. Just gets, gets, it changes. I wouldn't say it gets harder, but the problems get bigger and uh, they're fun though. Fun to solve. As you grew that quickly, did you run into supply issues? Like how did you, how did you ramp up that quickly with one person being your source? Luckily, our supplier is incredible. He has facilities and 
he's actually doubling the size of his, his facility for us for 2021. Um, so that's huge. But we're approaching the full capacity of his, and we're at like probably 20x what we were at like a year and a half ago. So it's growing really fast. Um, but we're, we, we're thinking ahead to make sure we, we stay in, in a good space for supply. So during this growth, when did the e-commerce part come into play? Yeah, so right off the bat, we started on, this is like our first initial push was e-commerce, but we were selling one-time products and my grandma was like our number one customer. Like no one was, <laughs> I mean, no one was really buying. It was funny, we had very low traffic and it took us about a year and a half to figure out really to support the daily drinking ritual, like you mentioned, of a consumer. And we found that subscription was a much better way to go about it. Mm -hmm. Instead of getting people to come back ever again and ever one time, it was like, let's get people in, on board who love our product and then give them a discount and let them get refills every month. Um, so that was a really big change and it really changed a lot of our metrics and numbers and allowed us to really push acquisition of new customers. About what time, what year did you switch to the subscription model? I want to say August of 2018, about a year and a half ago, a year, two years ago almost now. Um, that was a huge change for us. And I think we also were able to really cut down on our, our waste. We do, we do like a, a nice Tenzo 10 start and we do like recyclable refill pouches. So we're really trying to be conscious of that aspect of it. And we have a really strong, loyal community now of our Tenzo tribe is how <laughs> it's what they're called. But uh, yeah, it's been great. It's been really cool to watch it grow. And it's been, we really focused early on on um, or, like organic traffic, which was looking, looking back, that's all we could do was like create blogs to drive people to our websites. We had no money to spend. But now we're like the number two page for Matcha Health Benefits on Google. So that drives a ton of just organic traffic and tens of thousands of unique visitors a month, well, among other pages. But that's been a really big driver for us. And it hasn't taken a lot of money to grow that channel just because we have a lot of those kind of scrappy ways of drawing awareness and driving traffic. How much would you credit being in, I mean, at least in LA, being in so many stores with people being familiar with your brand to the point of getting a subscription? Yeah, I um, we got really good advice early on from a guy named Michael Mazze, who's one of the partners at VMG uh, Ventures up in San Francisco. And he really talked a lot about being hyper-local when you start a food and beverage company. It's really, really important to be very, very dense in a small area. Because that way, like for example, right now, a person who lives in Santa Monica will go to we'll say Espresso Cielo, they'll see our sign up, and then they'll go to their office at maybe Clutter, and they'll see Tenzo there. And they everywhere they kind of look, it's just Tenzo, Tenzo, Tenzo. So you could see Tenzo like five or 10 times in one day. And that we've heard a lot, it's been really cool just as that's built, because people will see us and go, oh, there they are again, and again, and again. And it kind of builds that brand presence in the mind. As a local business too, it's really nice, and people kind of get behind those movements and help push forward. Let's talk a little bit about the the content part of the play as yeah. well and, and trying to use SEO to bring people to um, your e-commerce site. You know, I imagine there are a lot of companies that are more direct to consume or even B2B brands who are thinking, you know, how much content do I need to create right. in order to 
you know, get get that stickiness, get that number two search result or number one search result. Right. You know, what has been your experience there? There's a lot of strategy goes into building really high-ranking Google pages, but generally the concept is you want to be longer, more, more thorough, and answer the question better than anyone else. Um, Google will look at your page for all kinds of things in terms of content, keywords, like page time reading, backlinks. So you kind of, it's like a popularity contest, but also a game of time. So the page that we built was like a 3,000 word health benefits page. It took about two years to hit the first page of Google. Mm-hmm. And once it did, it kept climbing because it was a really good page. And so Google will reward you for having like, if you have a really strong old domain around a specific topic, it can be very, very uh, lucrative just to own all of those keywords, you know, and just be the information source when people are wondering. Because we realized too that no one really knew what Matcha was. So a lot of the Google searches are very top of funnel, like what is Matcha? Why do I care about it? How do I make it? Um, that kind of those like those are probably three of the biggest keywords right there, sure. and we our goal was kind of to win those because we felt that if we could be the initial source of information, we have a really good chance of creating them into a lifelong customer. Right. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, and then, what role did social start to uh, play in this strategy? Social is a funny one for us. I think like. Based on the strengths of our teams, I wouldn't say we've been amazing at our social media presence. Um, and we're just starting to get into that more, like really finding what type of content drives traffic and sales. And it, it's one thing just to create endless streams of content, but it's hard to create content that moves the needle in terms of growing your company. Um, partnerships, though, have been really great for us. Um, partnering with like some of our friends over at Yes Theory, they're good buddies of ours, they drink Tenzo every day. Um, and their audience is very receptive to a partnership and a campaign and other things like that. But Instagram has been okay for us. Our best content has been just blogs and writing. Like we're probably really good writers and, uh, we're just diving into Pinterest, actually. Pinterest is a really exciting new platform. Well, sure, with, especially with the color of the product yeah, and, and some of the It's super interesting, especially our demographic skews toward women and we're, Pinterest, hopefully, we're, we've been blowing up on Pinterest, which is really cool to see. So just back to Instagram and, and to give people a sense, you guys have well over 30,000 followers. Yeah. Which may to some, to some people seem like a lot, and you're saying it's not really moving the needle that much. It's, it's great because we have an audience there, and people love to see and to engage in the content. But in terms of direct, like, generating new customers. A lot of our current customers, it's great to give them new recipes and to give, that's in that side, people love recipes. They love like retention content. But it's interesting in terms of acquisition, how those, Instagram is, it's pretty tough channel overall right now. It's very overcrowded, oversaturated, it's expensive to market on. So we've been really thinking like, everyone's on Pinterest, on Instagram. So it's like, what what could we do differently? We've always kind of been like that, like, I don't know, I, wanna, I don't want to say cockroach, but like, you know, like do it, do it different, you know, do it cheaper, do it better, take a different stab, different angle at it. Um, and you say you are starting to blow up on Pinterest? Yeah. So what does that mean? Um, we have an amazing lady named Lori, who is like kind of like our team mom. She's the greatest. 
Um, but she has been just creating content and creating pins on creating boards. And I personally don't understand a lot of it. I'm just starting to get into the, I'm starting to run the paid marketing on Pinterest, which has been really cool for us so far. But um, people on Pinterest really go there to, from my, what I understand is to get inspiration for new ideas and find recipes and find different ways to attack problems in their life. And they basically save things. And the cool part about Pinterest is it's kind of like Google where it's an evergreen search engine. So your pins never disappear. Like Instagram, you'll post and within two or three weeks, it's got pretty much gone forever. But on Pinterest, people will dig up pins from two to three years ago and then they'll start getting vital traction again around holidays or around events. So in that sense, kind of like YouTube, YouTube, Pinterest, and Google, I would say are your three like search engine content platforms versus like Facebook, like TikTok, um, Instagram, you post it, it's great for a day, and then it's like, it's gone, it's gone. disappears. Okay, move, move on to the next thing. Yeah. What, um, so can you talk about the revenue mix of e-commerce and wholesale? Yeah, right now we're about 70, 30 wholesale to e-com. And how's um, that changed from the beginning of e-com till now? We've always been pretty split. Okay. Um, it was used to be really half and half, but toward the end of last year, we got a really large wholesale partner, which I can't unfortunately say who it is, but they really skewed that number. And in the future, we, re we see a lot of opportunity though on e-commerce because it's a very, very scalable platform and we're just kind of getting into, we're moving away from just organic, getting into paid marketing and acquisition because we're really much more confident in our numbers at this point. But wholesale, it's great and we really like, being diversified across those two channels really helps us just in terms of cash flow and um, cash cycles to put money back into marketing and grow. And when you look at the e-commerce subscriptions that come in, I imagine that in the beginning maybe it was a little more skewed to Southern California, mm -hmm. but now has it is it kind of countrywide? Or? Yeah, we, we've sold to every state um, in the U.S. It generally is still dense, most dense among like the big metropolitan areas like LA, San Francisco, New York, Austin, Texas, um, Chicago. It's really interesting. Miami, like there's a bunch of those bigger cities, I think that are more on like the early adopter side of a new product. And then our hometown, Rochester, New York is just like a really, it's really funny how much we sell there. Yeah. But that's just, now they're like, Oh, there. I see. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's and why I started a matcha company. Right. I get it now, uh, yeah. three yeah. years later. Yeah. Thanks for support, guys. Money more quarterbacks <laughs> there. Um, w w just in terms of growth, you, t you talked about taking some funding at some point. What was that? What, when was that? What was it? Yeah, so we got to a point where um, we really knew that the business had legs. We thought there was a great opportunity to grow and to scale and to kind of build a foundation. So we started just friends and family. I think we took a, a small loan from family to start. This was like fall of 2017. And uh, we dumped it all into Facebook ads, you know, <laughs> just, and we grew really fast, you know, and it was a really cool thing to see. We're like, whoa, this is sweet, you know? And then we uh, kind of spiraled on that and raised a seed round, if you will. Um, and then that was like 2017 into 18. And then, um, yeah, we'll have raised like about a million and a half dollars, um, so far and we're doing a little more this spring. You know, what, largely what is that capital used for? 
operating expenses, um, team, inventory mostly, uh, just the cash cycle. Yeah, it's supported like 4X growth three years in a row. You know, that's kind of, it's really hard when you first get going. And I'm not going to say that all the money was spent as well as it could have been spent, but we definitely learned a lot. And it's been a great process of figuring out what works and figuring out how to grow the business. I feel like that's one of the most important parts of an early company is just testing a lot and trying a lot of things. We tried like every potential channel to sell Tenzo in, figured out what's the best economics, what's the best customer retention, what's the easiest, what's like the lowest cost to acquire a customer. It's been split. I mean, it really goes to a lot of things though. Sure. Yeah. And it, as you look to understand the size of the market, mm-hmm. I mean, when you talk about, when anybody talks about a specific you know, in the, in the world of tea, you know, it might be white tea versus sure. matcha or versus green tea. And you can take that and apply that to almost any industry. But how do you, how do you gauge the potential market size and how fast it will grow? That's, yeah, that's a really interesting and hard question too. And matcha itself in the U.S. has been growing really fast, like a 10 to 15% clip year over year for the last couple of years. But it's still only like a $100 million market in the U.S., maybe $200 million market. Where if you look at coffee or Red Bull, coffee's billions, like five, I think it's like five to $10 billion market. Energy drinks is like similar. I personally believe that coffee has something coming for it. You know, I just think in terms of all the benefits matcha provides and the clean energy experience, the U.S. has been so ingrained in coffee for so many years. And everyone is currently has this mindset where they're like, I need to find a healthy alternative for everything in my life. Everyone's trying to like switch and become a healthier, more productive, more focused version of themselves. So I think there's a large opportunity for Matcha to grow. I think it's going to really take over. I mean, I hope so. Yeah. Hopefully we're behind it as well. It can <laughs> no help, help lead, the, lead the growth. No doubt. You know, the, the one thing that coffee, uh, coffee is obviously ingrained in the culture, so it's hard to upset that. But cof- coffee does go through these cycles of, oh, maybe it's not healthy, and then, oh, no, 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 right. it's healthy, and then, so you can play on that. The other thing, just an idea, um, coffee stains your teeth. Right. So, you know, I, I would play that up. Yeah, no, for sure. Matcha does Matcha not. Matcha is good for your oral hygiene. It kills your bacteria in your mouth and gives you good breath. You know, like, there's a million of those. Other thing, too, is, like, the Prop 65 that came out where it said coffee might give you cancer. Right. That was just crazy to me, but it's, it's like, roasted, and it's, you know, right. probably has some carcinogens. So it's yeah. a really interesting... Uh, it's true. I mean, anything that is cooked basically has some level. Right. Of, yeah. That's that's where it comes down to, and everyone's like freaking out and like, well, toast probably has the same amount of carcinogens, you know. But people are people will believe what they want to believe. Would you ever go outside of matcha? For Tenzo, our plan is to stay really focused on matcha. I think with it, we'll eventually really build out our our line of products around a centerpiece of healthy energy and matcha. Um, there's a lot of functional drinks we could make, different ready-to-drink beverages. Um, I don't want to go too far into it, but there's, I mean, literally a world of opportunity. In Japan, there's matcha cupcakes, matcha cookies, matcha ice cream, matcha everything. Everything, like it's basically a flavor in Japan next to chocolate and vanilla. So. There's a, um, in Long Beach, there's a, um, actually they started somewhere else down in Orange County, but they have a place in Long Beach called Blue Bowl. They mm-hmm. make like uh, uh, bowls, and they have a. They matcha. have Tenzo. They have oh, they use Tenzo. Yeah, it's Tenzo. There you go. They have Tenzo. <laughs> oh, it's delicious. Yeah, that's amazing. And, I'm so yeah. glad you've had that. Yeah, blue bowl, and you can even get like overnight oats oh, and matcha, amazing. 
and then this blue chia on top, Oof. and then some granola. It's really delicious. Now we're talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's really quite good. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the other thing is in, in both in coffee and in other um, – I was just talking to somebody about uh, cascara, which is the fruit of a coffee that mm. is made into a, a tea. It's not technically a tea because it's not from the plant that you said whose name I can't – Camellia sinensis, the green tea plant. Camilla sinensis. Yeah, something okay. like that. Is that is that uh, that's Latin? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, people are making mixed non-alcoholic, but also alcoholic beverages with that a cascara goes nice in a like an old fashioned. But you also see um, coffee martinis. So I'm just wondering, like, do you see Tenzo matcha? cocktails are the best. Exactly. Matcha oh, oh. mules, matcha margaritas, Those Tenzo okay, tonics. Great. Oh, they're the best. Yeah, there's okay. literally, like, the hard, one of the hardest parts about this whole company has been what to focus on when. Right. You know, like, do you go launch across, in the bar scene across L.A. and teach breeders, like bartenders how to make matcha cocktails? Or do you, you know, like, we got a lot, a lot of our beautiful. sleeves. A lot of our sleeves be in the beautiful. future. Yeah, to beat out Red Bull, like, I don't think, I mean, everyone loves Red Bull vodkas, but they're just garbage for your body you know? what would what would a tenzo margarita like what would you put on the rim of that like a graham cracker that's, crust a, good, or that's a good question you could throw some matcha in your salt and you know yeah make you it go. all green that's excellent. awesome excellent well thank you for joining us and i yeah. look forward to what comes next thanks so much for having me it's been really fun I really can't wait to taste my matcha teeny, tenzo teeny. I want a matcha margarita or a matcha, matcha mule would be so matcha good. Matcha mule would be good. I'm not a big cocktail person, but once in a while. But I could also imagine you've had like those coffee teenies. Yep. Mm-hmm. The um, espresso. I tried, yeah. Martini. I tried one once and it did have like lined like chocolate salt mm-hmm. or something like that. I think it would be good. I, I had the idea of the graham cracker. Yeah. Um, on the rim of the drink. So lots more to come in the world of matcha and Tenzo tea. I also want to thank our editors over at Lampstand, as well as you, our producer, Kendall Fisher. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thanks all of you for tuning in. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. And if you're a fan of Tenzo tea, hit us up with a comment. Until next time. You just listened to the Grow Wire podcast with host Fritz Nelson. Make sure to keep tuning in for more episodes full of tips, tools, stories, and strategies to help take your personal and professional growth to the next level. Until next time.